0: Thank you, Cindy. I told several people uh, this morning that, you know, technically I shouldn't have to eat for a week. But I know my mom, she was so funny, whenever she'd eat a big meal, she'd always say, I'll never eat again. And I'd always say, that's not true. I know that, that it will. Um, Before we have our scripture reading, take just a moment and remember we have several from Kingsway and other churches that are in Belize and serving Christ down there. And so, you know, I want to remember them in prayer because the church obviously doesn't just meet in one building. The church is doing God's work and uh, and grateful for them. So, you know, uh, remembering... uh, Dorothy, Powers, and remembering Brenda Salls. And, of course, remembering Jerry and Lisa Hyder. It's so funny on my iPhone. Suri always says hater, but it's Hyder. And uh, then also remembering, um, of course, uh, Terry and Samantha and that favorite cowboy of ours, John Henry, as they're part of the crew down there. But anyway, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We want to look at verses 19 through 20 this morning in the book of Revelation. And a message entitled, What a Sunday. And so, when you find that, if you will stand in our awesome God's honor, as I read from the text, <clears throat> I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, "...I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword." His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw is my in my right hand and of the seven lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we need you, Lord. I pray for the team that is in Belize that you would fill them to the full with your Holy Spirit and continue to minister through them as they love families there, as they're able to communicate why they're there because of you. Uh, Father, as they gather to worship today, may you bless them. And Father, of course, we pray for us, Lord. We've come and, and we need your touch, Lord. You don't need us, but we need you. And I pray this morning, as we look at your precious word, Lord, as we look at this vision received by the Apostle John, Lord, in a place he certainly didn't want to be, Father, but you showed up, and that made all the difference. And I pray this morning that you and your power would show up, Lord. We can't do anything that is eternal without the Spirit of God working in us. And so, Spirit of God, work in us that we may respond to You. And Lord, we just want to leave here elevating the name of Jesus and that our hearts would be in tune with You, the living God. Father, I ask that You would take the weakness of my attempt and that Your anointing would be evident. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When picking a Bible to read, and there are so many that are out there. There are translations, and there are paraphrases, and and, and what they are based upon is closeness to the text, because the Bible did not come down in English, in the English language, but came down in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, those languages. and, And the way you judge a translation, an English translation, is closeness to the text and readability, And you have some translations that are so close to the text they're hard to read. And then you have those that go the other extreme that are easy to read, but they take a lot of liberty. And one of those, which is popular, paraphrases, is called The Message. The Message, um, translated by Eugene Peterson. Uh, It's fascinating reading to read with your study Bible. And I want to read a quote from Eugene Peterson that he had written several years ago. God's revelation of himself is rejected far more often than it is accepted, is dismissed by far more people than embrace it, and has been either attacked or ignored by every major culture or civilization in which it has given its witness. Magnificent Egypt, fierce Assyria, beautiful Babylon, artistic Greece, political Rome, enlightened France, Nazi Germany, Renaissance Italy... Marxist Russia, Maoist China, in pursuit of happiness America. The community of God's people has survived in all these cultures and civilizations, but always as a minority, always marginal to the mainstream, never statistically significant. As we read in the Scriptures, we see a people who long to know God, who are in a world that does not understand them. Thinks at times they're out of their minds. And as you look through Scripture, it tells us that we're in a battle. It is a spiritual battle. And we are called upon to use spiritual weapons, to put on spiritual armor, and to be tuned with God. For as it says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross... Is foolishness to those who are perishing. They think we're just saying a bunch of gibberish. But to the one who is saved, it is the power of God. And, and what a vast difference that is. Because what happens when you hear the message of the cross is you understand no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I work, No matter how good I am, it's not enough. Not next to a holy God. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are those who are broken, needing to be mended. We are those who have been set apart, needing to be reconciled. And that's the message of the gospel. It is the message that must always be in the church, or the church ceases to be the church. Man, if I ever preach a message and I don't mention Jesus, you better mention it. Because that's what we need to hear. It is that message. Uh, USA Today, back in 2007, had an article about a children's camp that consisted of children from families of atheists, agnostics, and humanists. Can you imagine being a camp counselor at that kind of place? And At this camp, um, the camp director said this, The mission of our camp is to promote respect for others with different viewpoints, values, and beliefs. But what did he really mean in that coded language? (laughs) He really meant he wants to promote respect for everyone but Christians. Those who are looking for one way, one Savior, (laughs) one truth where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And alive. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Matter of fact, he goes on in this article, this camp director, and he explains himself. He says, We deplore any viewpoint that demands salvation from sin. Interestingly, the article goes on to say that the campers did an exercise where every child invented their own religion with a directive of making sure it would not be. Offensive to anyone. Reminds me of the quip that says, God created man and man has returned the favor. Scripture says that people will worship the creation instead of the creator. That they will miss the creator. As we look at this revelation... As we saw as we started out our study in Revelation 1, the first verse, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And and from early on in the church, there was a fight against the early church. Uh, Pliny, the Roman governor of ancient times, wrote this. He said, Christianity is a depraved and extravagant superstition. The contagion of this superstition has spread not only in the cities, but the villages as well. Another author wrote, many thousands of Christians are being put to death, of which none of them did anything contrary to the Roman laws worthy of persecution. One of the emperors, Domitian, took the emperor's throne from his brother Titus by poisoning his fish dinner, and then he took that throne. As a matter of fact, in another book that describes this emperor, said that he would get really angry when people uh, looked at his head because he was going bald. And to have the wrong look. Might mean you wouldn't just lose your hair. But your very head. That that was the kind of guy they were dealing with. As a matter of fact. As you look at the early church. And as you look at the early apostles. Except for John. They all died. Why? Because their heart was to share the gospel. Regardless of the cost. Here's what tradition says. Just from tradition. Matthew was killed by the sword. In Ethiopia. Nathaniel. Was killed by a whip. As he was literally flayed to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Thomas had been stabbed to death with a spear. While he was doing a missionary trip in India. Matthias had been stoned and then beheaded. And the Apostle Paul. As he sat in a jail cell. Would eventually be beheaded in Rome. Peter. Peter. A year later, was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to die like his Lord. And then James, who was not one of the twelve, but he was the brother of Jesus and the leader of the church at Jerusalem. He was pushed off a cliff, but when he didn't die, they came with clubs and made sure they finished murdering him. And the last apostle left is John. The one who was given this vision, the the one who penned the words by the movement of the Holy Spirit, this book that we're studying, this book of the Revelation. And think about those early believers. Many around them were dying. Many were in prison. There was great suffering. And there was an idea, what kind of hope do we have? Does the Lord really care? I mean, look at our predicament. Look where we are. Is God still with us? Does, does Jesus want to rescue us? And what a hope this book must have been to those early believers. As in Revelation 1, verse 8, he tells us that he's the first and the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Almighty. And, and so it was a word of their here. He's with us. I want to look at some biographical snapshots. Here briefly the first one is humility. You know, he he could have made the point. He said, "Hey, God used me to write some letters." He didn't know how influential they'd be. They'd end up in the holy canon in the scripture. And he could have mentioned the fact that he was the disciple Jesus loved. He was near Jesus at the Lord's Supper. And he was the one that was at the cross. And Jesus said, take care of my mother. And, and he could have mentioned all that. But he didn't mention any of that. He said, I am a, a companion. I am with you. You know, fellowship means there are several fellows in the ship together. And, and, and he said, I'm one of you. That was his heart. And sharing, The point is, he was captivated not by his spirituality, but by Jesus. And by the return of Christ. What was most important to him was not that he was there, but that Jesus would come back. And there was a tenacity. Look at the second part of verse 9 as the tenacity is shared. He tells us that companion in the suffering and kingdom... And patient endurance that are ours in Jesus on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, I want to show you an interesting verse here. First part of verse 10, he says, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Now, this is not a reference, this is in the Old Testament. Of the day of the Lord, which is a day of God coming in His wrath to bring His judgment. But this was a reference to the Lord's day. Which was a day that through history, the time of worship moved from Saturday, the Sabbath day, the Jewish culture, to Sunday. Because it was the day Jesus rose from the grave. It was the day of hope. And what a Sunday! As we look through the scripture here... What a Sunday we discover. Matter of fact, uh, I want to just look through these real quickly. Uh, Christ on display. Look at 13. Here, uh, as we go through the text. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. This was the title of Jesus that referred to the fact that being God, He came in human form. He knows what suffering is like. And He is the one who suffers alongside those who are suffering. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.12 where Paul says, Everyone who lives for Jesus will be persecuted. Who lives a godly life in Christ. Notice first it talks about He with His Robe, as we read in verse 13 here, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sesh around his chest. And the word picture here is of a king, his royalty. And of a high priest, as we read in Exodus 28, 4, of a great high priest in his service. And it reminds us of the fact that Jesus is not only our king, he is our high priest who intercedes for us, who comes before the Father on our account, who, although we are sinners, speaks on our behalf. Secondly, his head and his hair speak of his eternality. Look at verse 14. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow. The word here, white, it speaks of the brilliance, of, of the fact that there was a brightness, a glorious appearance. Of the ancient of days. It reminds us of Daniel as he saw the vision of, of the one with white hair and, and the glorious of days. And then thirdly, his eyes show his perceptibility. Look at the second part of verse 14. As he says, his eyes were like blazing fire. And the picture here is that when Jesus sees, he sees it all. We don't hide anything from Jesus He knows us. It says in John 2.25 that as he looked at the men, he he knew what was in their hearts. And I love it in the Amplified Bible. It says he was able to read their hearts. Jesus knows us. He sees completely through us. And and like it tells us in in Hebrews 4.12 about the word of God living and active. That it penetrates soul and spirit and joints and marrow. That it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, "God not only sees me, and He sees through them. That's how He sees." And and imagine Jesus walking up and down each of these pews and putting His hand upon your shoulder and saying, "I know you. I see you. I see you through and through." Fourthly, His Feet speak of his mastery. Notice in verse 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. The picture here in ancient times. The kings would sit on a throne that was highly elevated. So that whoever walked before the king was under his feet. It it was a picture of his being high and lifted up. Of having an ultimate authority. And the picture here is that he is our master. He is the one that is in charge that we worship. Fifthly, His voice implies His divine authority. Notice it says His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Imagine going to Niagara Falls with the sound of those great falls and you speaking as loud as you can. Nobody could hear you. I don't care how big mouthed you think you are. The voice of those waters would drown out your voice. And before Him, our words are drowned out. It is as if there is a silence. Listen, uh, turn me to Romans 3.19. Romans 3.19, it talks about that coming day. It says, now that we know whenever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. There will be a time where we're going to be held accountable to God. Sixth, uh, his right hand refers to his sovereignty. Notice it says, In his right hand, he held seven stars. And he explains that in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the picture here is of the angels. The word also means messengers because angels are God's messengers. And he is speaking to the ones in the church who lead the church, who are the elders who speak the word of God, who preach the truth. And he's bringing that message to these church leaders and to those churches. Churches. Seventh, his mouth refers to his indestructibility. Notice the second part of verse 16. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. This refers to the fact that Jesus is going to take care of his own. One day, one day he is going to make things right. John MacArthur uh, wrote in his commentary, Those who attack Christ's church, those who sow lies, create discord, harm his people, will be personally dealt with by the Lord of the church. His word is potent. In 2 Thessalonians 2 8, it says that the Antichrist shall be defeated one day with the breath of Christ's mouth. This was very breath with his very. And then the last one, eighth. His face displays his majesty. Look at the last part of verse 16. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Our sun radiates four million tons of heat a second. There is a majestic brilliance. But the Son of God is full of all glory. And full of all brilliance that is so majestic and so powerful. Notice the response in verse 17 when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. There was a, a great fear when he realized who it was that was before him. It wasn't the great pie in the sky or a celestial Santa Claus, it was Almighty God, who is holy. And so he fell as if he was dead before his feet before him. And notice what he heard. He said, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. You now he heard something similar. when he was out on a boat with his friends, the other disciples. There was this great storm. And they were terrified that they were going to die. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Those words, I believe, must have come back to John. It says he remembered once again. He says, look, I hold the keys to life and death. Trust me. Hey, keys, they let you in. They keep you out. But they're key to to your hope, to your life. He's saying, hey, Christian, they can't lock you out. They can't lock you in. They can't keep you out of heaven. (laughs) There is a confidence in Christ. Let me close with a couple applications here real quick. Even when life is interrupted, our Lord is interceding. Maybe you are going through something that you do not understand. You feel like God has forgotten you and He is not with you. But He is there, even when you don't detect Him. Jim Dennison writes in one of his books about a mission trip to East Malaysia. And um, at the end of the service, there was a baptism of a teenage girl who had given her heart to Christ. And he noticed at the corner of the sanctuary there was an old suitcase. And so afterward he asked the pastor, he said, what, What's that old suitcase about? And here is what he shared. He said, Her father told her that if she was ever baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. So she brought her luggage.
1: And then lastly, even when
0: life is at its darkest, we can continue to follow him with our confidence. As far as he was concerned, he would never be able to depart from Patmos until it was time to go to his heavenly home and be with Jesus and with his Father. And yet God said, look upon me. What a Sunday. Think about each of these as he got this picture of Jesus. What a well-rounded picture. These eight things. If that doesn't bring you to worship, what will? (laughs) And and so as we come to a time now to worship him, think, think of this great chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Father, I thank you for your word and uh, we cannot fully imagine you, Jesus, but we are here in our limited perception, asking the Spirit of God to reveal you. As an altar that is open, may we come and pray as you lead us with situations that are overwhelming, may Your grace flood our lives so that we will know we are not alone. Um, If we need to come in obedience to You, may we come, whether it's to pray at this altar to make a decision before Your people or to make a decision right where we are now, Lord. May we simply be obedient. Father, show Yourself as we stand and as we sing. In Christ's name.